Good evening. It's good to see you all. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there in verse 1, Paul begins the chapter by writing, It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now remember, the apostle is still continuing to answer the charges of these false apostles in Corinth, those false claims that have been brought forth against him by these false prophets. And he writes, it's not expedient for me to glory. And that's true, beloved. There's no doubt about it. It's never becoming of us to boast about our gifts, our blessings, and those things the Lord's given unto us. Now, remember, while this was necessary for the apostle to speak to, but it wasn't expedient. Now, it is necessary for the glory of God and the good of the church because the true glory of God is only seen in the preaching of Christ. Indeed, in the face of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, both his person and his finished saving work for his people, Christ and him crucified. And so we see here how that it's of the utmost importance that this distinction be made between the true apostle of God and these false prophets. And these visions and revelations of the Lord, well, they served as signs or evidences that, the, that Paul's a man sent of God. Remember, God spoke to him and gave him these visions and revelations. Now, this is somewhat different than to what Paul was speaking to in chapter 11. For example, last week we saw Paul speaking to the hardships he faced for the gospel's sake. And his sufferings for the gospel's sake were good indicators that the apostle Paul was really sent of God and was preaching the true gospel, the gospel of God's free grace in Christ. Because the flesh hates that message. The flesh, the, the flesh of man, the fallen flesh of man hates the gospel of the preaching of Christ alone. And only God's man would suffer for it. And so we saw last week how that, that served as a very solid indication that Paul was indeed God's servant. But now notice in this chapter, the apostle now draws our attention to the revelations and visions that he had received from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, when the, when the apostle was converted on the road to Damascus, we have that account when he had that vision of the Lord and our Lord spoke to him saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to kick against my purpose, the purpose of God in saving his people. And Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then sometime later, Paul had another vision of that man from Macedonia telling him to go there and preach the gospel to us. And then when Paul was in Corinth, remember how he was set on leaving there? He was resolved to leave that city. And the apostle had yet another vision of the Lord. We read in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by, by, by a vision. Paul, be not thou afraid. Be not afraid, Paul. But speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And so, Paul, you stay here in Corinth and preach, for I have much sheep in this city. 
And those are just a, a few of the visions and revelations that he had received from the Lord. But Paul says, it's not expedient for me to speak to these things because it stirs up in, up in me pride. And it, now it's necessary, but it's certainly not expedient. And remember, Paul's pointing these things out for proof of his apostleship, but it's not expedient. He feels, in a manner of speaking, foolish that he's forced to deal with these matters. And so this isn't expedient. But I'll tell you what is, beloved. It's preaching the gospel of Christ. Preaching Christ and Him crucified. That's what's expedient for us to hear. The preaching of the gospel of God concerning His Son. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You see, this is expedient. Preaching the gospel of Christ. And woe is unto me if I don't preach it. And I'll tell you another reason that speaking about these visions is not expedient. is because they won't do us any spiritual good. Peter said, I had the revelation there on the Mount of Transfiguration. But beloved, you and I have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed there to, to, there too as a light. You see, visions don't reveal Christ. Rather, it's by the sure word of Scripture that Christ is revealed. And the clean water of the gospel is blessed by the Spirit of God. Christ is not merely revealed to you, beloved, but ever so blessedly in you. Our Lord declares, and many of you are familiar with this portion. This is when he was speaking to Nicodemus, John 3, 5 and 6. Our Lord declares, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What a blessing it is to know exactly what our Lord's saying to there. How that he takes the word of truth, the gospel of his son, and he blesses it with his spirit, and he quickens, quickens, quickens us by the, the preaching of the gospel. Now we see here in this portion how it was necessary that the Lord Jesus Christ reveal himself to Paul. And we know this because the canon of Scripture was as yet not complete. And today we have the completed Word of God. You can be sure of that. That what you're holding in your hands is the complete Word of God. And since this is God's complete and perfect Word, the Lord is no longer revealed in visions. Rather, He's revealed in the written Word, which testifies to the incarnate Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why it's so vitally important that we preach the Word. You see, beloved, we're not born again from visions. Rather, we're born again from the incorruptible seed, the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So we preach the Word because these visions, well, they're not expedient for us to know about. Rather, what's expedient is that we hear of Christ and Him crucified. Now, verse 2, Paul continues, and he says there, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such and one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. 
Now, Paul is speaking of himself in the third person here, and he does so out of a sense of humility. You see, he's trying to draw attention away from himself, and he says, I knew a man in Christ. And the emphasis is on being in Christ, not the man. And that's key, beloved. For every blessing that we have is in Christ. Indeed, everything we have is for Christ's sake, and every blessing is found in him and him alone. And that can't be emphasized enough. And so this man, who is in Christ, was taken up to the third heaven. Now, the first heaven is the air above us, where the birds fly. The second heaven is outer space, where the planets and stars are found. And beyond that, well, that's the third heaven, where our glorified Lord sits enthroned in glory. Paul says in verse 4 that that third heaven is paradise. He writes there that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Now, I don't know much about paradise, but I do know this, beloved. Paradise is where Christ is. And I know that, beloved, because he told that thief on the cross, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, wherever Christ is, that's paradise, my friend. And he sits enthroned in the third heaven, and this man in Christ, the Apostle Paul, was taken to paradise. Now, Adam, he was in a paradise of sorts there in Eden, but he sinned and was thrust out of that paradise. But the man found in Christ, well, he's brought back into paradise to be with Christ, to behold him where he is. And in a way that doesn't draw attention to himself, in effect, the apostle is saying, I went there. I went to heaven. I went to glory. Now, he doesn't know whether it was in his body or whether it was out of his body in the spirit. And Paul says, I cannot tell. I simply don't know, but God knoweth. See, the only thing he knew for sure was that he was in Christ. And that's the way he went to heaven, beloved, in Christ. You see, this was a supernatural event or a vision that took divine power. Indeed, this was a special revelation of Christ to God's servant, the Apostle Paul. Perhaps the Lord gave the Apostle this revelation to see things that are to come. I mean, none of us know what our eternal home looks like. In fact, we really don't know anything about it. And so maybe Paul was made to have these visions so that he'd be willing to suffer those many things that he'd suffered for Christ's sake. Could be. No one knows for sure, but I, I tell you who does. God does, beloved. God knows. And what's remarkable here is that Paul says this happened over 14 years ago. And yet, this is the first time he's telling us about it. Now, if that happened to us, we wouldn't wait a week, much less 14 years to tell others about it. And that's another distinction about the Apostle Paul. Because Paul waited 14 years to tell the, the believers in Corinth about this vision and and he's only now bringing it to their attention well that's quite a notable difference between Paul and these false prophets you know those false preachers you see on TV any time I've ever seen them uh, you know a video of them on YouTube or whatever they're always speaking about a recent vision that happened to them and Paul had this vision 14 years ago and you know he hadn't gone about broadcasting it he wasn't telling them about it. How come? Because, beloved, his work in this ministry was not built on visions. Rather, his labor in this ministry was on 
built on preaching Christ and Him crucified. He didn't come to to a gathering and and begin to talk about what what he had seen in a dream or or a vision that he had. He was there to preach Christ and Him crucified. And he says there in Second Corinthians. First uh, Corinthians, rather. First Corinthians, chapter four. No, rather, Second Corinthians, chapter four, and verse five. He says, "We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake." So that's what distinguished the Apostle Paul. He wouldn't be there talking about visions. He would be there preaching Christ and Him crucified. Now, the only reason he's telling them now of this vision is in defense of his preaching Christ, how that he's truly preaching Christ. And that's the only reason he's bringing it to their attention to set forth that he's truly an apostle of the Lord and in Christ. And that's the only reason he's telling them that. In verse 4 of 2 Corinthians, he tells them about the vision that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Now, Paul doesn't tell us anything about what he saw, and I'm certain what he saw was just spectacular, more than we can understand. And so the only thing he tells us is that the things that he heard are not lawful for a man to speak. Now, he doesn't mean that it's illegal or that it's prohibited from, uh, that he's prohibited from telling us of what he heard. He's just saying that it's utterly impossible. That's what the word unlawful means. It's impossible for him to speak or understand the things that he heard. Because when Paul was there in paradise, he heard heavenly language and heavenly praise sung by perfect people in the presence of Almighty God. And so a man in the flesh, well, he simply can't understand that language. You see, beloved, you and I can't sing that language while we're yet in this flesh. You see, not till we're changed in the resurrection will we be able to understand that language. You see, an unchanged human being is not capable of understanding that language that's sung in the presence of our Lord. But one blessed day, beloved, we will. And so Paul sp- says, we can't speak that heavenly language. But, I, but, beloved, I tell you what we can do. By God's grace, we can speak the revealed word of God. By God's grace and by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can understand some of the revealed word of God. Paul writes, speaking of the natural man, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Beloved, just think on that, of those things that God has prepared for you because you love him. And you love him because he first loved you in the covenant of grace. And we love him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so, beloved, let's focus on what God's given us. Let's speak about the things that we know that God's given us to see and hear in this time state. And so let's leave the things which God hath prepared for us that love him to when he comes for us again and receives us to himself that where he is, we may be also. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, Paul continues, 
And he says there, of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Now, though Paul experienced this vision, but he wasn't about to glory in himself. Now, he's thankful for this revelation of Christ and glory in paradise that he had, but he knew in himself he's still nothing. And he says, if I'm going to glory, what I'm going to glory in is my infirmities and my weaknesses and the things that I've suffered for Christ's sake, those things that he talks about in chapter 11. And at the conclusion of our study this evening, we'll see more of why it is that he's going to glory in his infirmities and his weaknesses. And as we read the testimony of the apostle, and we study this portion, and we understand more of his example, I trust we want to make his testimony applicable to ourselves. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Timothy, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Christ to life everlasting. Beloved, like the apostle, we have so much to be thankful for. Indeed, those who believe on Christ to life everlasting, they have so much to be grateful for. Beloved, we've been washed in the blood of Christ. We've been given eternal life. The Lord's given us pastors and teachers. He's given us some understanding of His Word. He's blessed us with spiritual growth. And as I look upon the people He's gathered together this evening, I'm looking upon the faces of the people that the Lord's blessed with His mercy and grace. Beloved, He's given us a comfortable place to worship in, freedom in this country. You know, we really take it for granted because we've never really known anything different. The early church and some churches in the world today would say to us here in New Caney, Texas, what a wonderful blessing that you can put a sign out front and tell everybody exactly what it is you're doing. But beloved, today many have to be about hiding when they worship the Lord. They have to go about it in secret while we get to worship publicly in freedom. Beloved, we have so much to be thankful for. I just read this the other day. Quote, on March 21st, that's 2021, the Chinese District Ethnic and Religious Affairs Bureau led more than 30 personnel from police, state security, and local district offices to raid the Mount Olive Church in a Chinese province. They sent the members home and sealed the church without showing any legal documents. Uh, a pastor by the name of Pastor Dong and several leaders were brought to the police station. And then on March 24th, the same group descended on the church again without any proper documents and removed the church's property, including chairs and books. Beloved, what would we do if tonight a group of police-backed officials came here with multiple trucks to cart off the pews, the pulpit, the microphone, the speakers, what would we do? I pray we would be supplied grace to rest in our Lord who declared, Beloved, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.
maybe if that were to happen here in New Canaan, God forbid it does. We could say with the apostle, I was glad when that happened. <laughs> because the power of Christ laid upon me all the more. <laughs> and so let's learn from the example of the apostle Paul and be thankful and not be puffed up. You see, beloved, we've got nothing to be proud of. Everything we have, the Lord gave us. And so all the glory belongs to the Lord. He gave them. These are gifts that He gave us, and we're thankful for them. But we're not going to glory in them. Verse 6, Paul continues, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear. I forbear, I forbear, lest any man should think me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Now, this is true humility. True humility. And here's why Paul says what, uh, what he says. He says, I'm not going to boast about this experience, because if I did have a mind to boast about this experience, I mean, I'd be telling the truth, but these false apostles... These false brethren, well, they wouldn't be telling the truth. They'd just be conjuring up some story they made up. You say they wouldn't be telling the truth. But if I tell you about this experience, I'm telling the truth, but I'm not going to boast about it, beloved. Because one of two things would happen. If I boast about it, about this experience, one of two things will happen. Either people would either think I'm a fool for bragging on myself, or worse yet, they would think of me more highly than they should. And they put me up upon a pedestal where I most certainly do not belong. And there's a real good lesson for us here, beloved. You know, there are things that the Lord's blessed us with that we could, I don't know, uh, brag might not be the right word, but things that we could say about ourselves that are true uh, that the Lord's given us here in Sovereign Grace Church. You know, gifts. I mean, if I wanted to, I suppose I could brag on this church. I could brag on individuals in this church. And that that wouldn't be fibbing at all. It would be true things. It wouldn't be flattery. It would be true things I would be bragging about. About just how gracious a people he's made you. And the attitude that he's given you. I mean, it's just wonderful to consider all these things that God's given us that we've received by his grace in Christ. Now, they'd be true. They'd be true. But, beloved, we ought to follow the pattern of the apostle and forbear speaking about those things. Solomon said, Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. In effect, let's, let, let somebody else brag about you. And so, beloved, let's forbear speaking about these things so that we can spend our time speaking of Christ. And that's what our time ought to be given to. The preaching of Christ speaking and bragging of him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and not each other, let alone ourselves. Now, in this vision of the apostle, he heard things that are not possible for him to speak. And if he couldn't tell the things he heard, well, what about the things that he saw? What, what things did he see? That vision was something else, was it not? And yet, beloved, that vision pales utterly pales in comparison to what we can speak of regarding Christ and His Word. And to be sure, the vision that Paul had was glorious, but not nearly as glorious as our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that vision that Paul had and the things that he heard pales in comparison to the love of Christ for His people. 
and his willingness to sacrifice himself for our sins pales in comparison to that vision. Now, Paul's vision was spectacular, to be sure, but not as spectacular as the mercy and grace of God in Christ. And so, too, Paul's vision was breathtaking, but not as breathtaking uh, as the everlasting life that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, let's forbear speaking about these things and speak about the things that are most glorious, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul continues in verse 7, and he writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, pride is a horrible thing. And even the Apostle Paul couldn't get rid of pride as long as he was in the flesh. And as you read through his writings, one has to admit that he's most definitely a humble man. And yet, even the great Apostle Paul could not get rid of his pride. And that's because pride comes as naturally to this flesh as humility comes to the new man. And so, beloved, we'll never be rid of it as long as this old man is drawing breath. Indeed, we'll never be rid of, of it till this body of death is put into the ground to molder into dust. You see, there's a very real warfare going on between the flesh and the spirit. And my friend, the Lord hates pride in a worm. And I remember my pastor telling me, you know, when we think about a worm, you think about when you go fishing, you think of a little, little friendly, nice-looking worm. That's not the right word, beloved. It's a maggot. Maggot. That's what we are outside of Christ. And when you think about a maggot, a maggot worm like you and a maggot worm like me, filled up with pride, being puffed up and proud about something, it's nothing more contradictory than pride in a sinner who's been saved by grace. I mean, how awful is that? A sinner saved by grace, a believer, a child of God being lifted up with pride? Well, the Lord knows how to keep us humble, does He not? And we may not like how He does so in the flesh. Nevertheless, the Word of God sets forth, Child of God, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And beloved, it's good for us and it's good for the rest of the church that he chastens and rebukes us. You see, we can't be a help to one another. We simply can't be a help to one, one another when we're full of pride. That's an utter impossibility. And so Paul says, in effect, I would have been puffed up with pride because of all these revelations, but the Lord sent me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble to keep me from being puffed up and filled with pride. And so the Lord allowed Satan to torment Paul with what he calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's a lot of speculation about this thorn, and nobody knows exactly what it was. It could have been some physical problem in his flesh, perhaps his eyesight, or some other physical pain. Or perhaps it wasn't a physical problem at all, but rather a specific false prophet who was just a thorn in Paul's side constantly. Who knows? But whatever it was, God knows. And it was painful to Paul. It was painful. You know, if it was a false prophet, I think of how painful it was for the Apostle Paul to see people he preached to, if he thought they were converted, being led astray. Just painful. He writes in Philippians 3, verse 18, Many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, 
that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he uses the word buffet. This uh, pain is just constantly beating down upon him. It's repeated, it's relentless, and it's constant. Just buffeting him everywhere he turned. And many of us can relate to that to some degree, I suppose. We can relate to having been in a trial where you're buffeted, just like a ship tossed in the middle of the sea, just buffeted with crashing waves on every side. I mean, you don't know which direction the wind's coming from. You don't know which direction the waves are coming from. And it seems like there's no end in sight. Now, the root of this word here, thorn, means a shooting bodily pain that's so bad that you can barely do anything. And so the apostle's being buffeted. What's he to do? What's he to do? Well, the answer, as always is the case, anytime we find ourselves in a situation like that, the answer is prayer. And notice what the apostle does. He takes his burden to the Lord in prayer and leaves it with him. Verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And the Lord said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It was once said, I'll say it again, prayer is the Sabbath for every sore and the remedy for every malady. And so, beloved, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. God, give us grace to do that. And Paul was uh, earnest in prayer. We see that from that single word thrice. You see, this just wasn't a formality with him. Rather, he was earnest because this thorn was so painful that he prayed earnestly, yet he received no answer. And he prayed again and received no answer. And a third time, and the Lord answered, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, beloved, Scripture teaches us to be constant in prayer and to continually pray in all things. So don't be weary in prayer, beloved. Look here to Paul's example. He went to the Lord three times before this prayer was answered. Now, I know this. The Lord always hears the prayers of His people. Always. Isaiah 51, 59, 1 declares, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy, that it cannot hear. He always hears his people, beloved. The Lord always answers the prayers, always answers the prayers of his people. Sooner or later, he'll answer. Now, I've found that he seldom answers my prayer when I want it to be answered, because his answers to prayer are always according to his calendar, not mine. It's always according to his time, when it pleases him, and he knows what's best. And he may not answer the prayer the way we intended. But when he, we, we ask him for something, we have to trust him. We have to just leave it with him and trust him that he will answer in a time and in a way that's for his glory and for our good. And that's what happened here. You see, God didn't answer Paul's prayer in the way Paul intended. Now, did he? For he didn't remove that thorn in the flesh. But he did give the apostle something better. God gave Paul something infinitely better than what he asked for. And that's the way our Lord does things, is it not? So frequently, God will give us something better than what we ask for. In Paul's case, 
he gave him his grace. Now, if you know anything about grace, you know this. There's nothing better, for his grace is sufficient for Paul's problems and for ours too, beloved. God's grace is so good that Paul said, I'm going to rejoice in my infirmities. I'm not going to moan and cry about them. Rather, I'm going to rejoice in mine infirmities. And that's a hard thing to say. I mean, to say I'm going to rejoice in pain, that I'm going to rejoice in suffering. And Paul says that's what he's going to do because God's grace is seen and appreciated in our weakness. That's when we really appreciate it the most in our weakness. Beloved, our rejoicing is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His grace. Our rejoicing is not in our strength. Our rejoicing is not in how well everything is going today. It's not that. Oh, no, I want the power of Christ, don't you? I want His power. And Paul says, that's why I'm going to rejoice. Because in my weakness, I experience the power of Christ resting upon me. Now, there are several lessons I want us to take from these, these verses here. First of all, God is sovereign. He rules all things after the counsel of His own will. He rules so that he will accomplish his purpose in all things. And the Lord allowed Satan to buffet Paul, his servant. And Satan rejoiced in these opportunities to buffet Paul. And he did so with this intention, that this thorn in the flesh would weaken Paul's message, that this buffeting in the flesh would weaken his preaching and make it ineffective. Nevertheless, God's in control, and the Lord overruled, and he used that thorn to make Paul's ministry even stronger. Now, that thorn, no doubt about it, that thorn hurt the flesh, but it helped Paul's message and his labor in the ministry. And so, too, spiritually, it helped Paul because it kept him humble. Indeed, it kept his preaching dependent upon the power of Christ and not upon any power of his own oratory or otherwise. That thorn in the flesh kept the apostle dependent on the power of Christ. And God's grace is sufficient because we have a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, beloved. You see, long before Paul suffered this thorn in the flesh, our Lord Jesus suffered thorns in the flesh. Did he not? Those thorns made into a crown were forced into his flesh, and those thorns were intended to cause pain and humiliation. But what did they do? Well, they did cause our Lord pain and humiliation, but so too they accomplished God's eternal purpose of redemption. And, beloved, this thorn is going to do the same. This thorn in Paul's flesh is going to accomplish God's purpose just the same. And Paul is comforted in knowing that. For, you see, the Lord knows how to comfort his people. You see, beloved, whatever it is we're going through, whatever it is, we know the Lord suffered it first. You see, he's the shepherd that's gone before the sheep. And so whatever it is we're suffering through, beloved, Whatever path we're walking, our Lord's walked it first. He's the one who suffered at first, and so he knows how to comfort his people. And so, beloved, God's grace is always sufficient for our every need. Child of God, whatever situation you find yourself in, God's grace is sufficient. You see, this promise that the Lord made to the apostle wasn't just limited to Paul. God's grace is sufficient for all of his people, for every one of his children. God's grace is sufficient to save, not almost saved, but to save to the uttermost. You see, my friend, our chief need is salvation. 
And beloved, by grace it is that we're saved. You see, it's by grace that you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Salvation is by grace. Uh, Turn back to Acts chapter 18. So many precious verses in God's Word that set forth plainly and clearly God's grace is sufficient. And here in Acts chapter 18, verse 27, we see there that God's grace is sufficient to give us faith, to make us believe. Acts 18, verse 27, we read there, And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them which helped them much which had believed through grace. You see that? That's how they believed. It's through grace. God's grace is sufficient to give us faith, to make us believe. And God's grace is sufficient to justify. And being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, Romans 3.24. And in Romans chapter 11, we read there how that God's grace is sufficient in election to elect a people unto salvation. Romans 11 verse 5 sets forth, Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God's grace is sufficient to elect a people. God's grace is sufficient to call. Well then, how are all these elect in Christ going to be called? God's grace is sufficient to call them. What did Paul say? But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's room and called me by His (laughs) grace. You see, He'll call His elect through the preaching of the gospel. And it's a gracious call. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Beloved, God's grace is sufficient to make us accepted of the Father and His well-pleasing Son. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 6, we read there, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved Son of God. God's grace is sufficient to put away our every sin, beloved. For where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's grace is sufficient. And if you're interested in grace, my friend, I can tell you where to find it. In the Lord Jesus Christ. For the law was given by Moses... But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. If you want grace, if you're truly interested in grace, look to Christ, my friend. Go to God's Son, for He's the fountain of all grace. And that's where all grace is found. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look to the preacher. Don't look to the church. Don't look to doctrines. Look to Christ, for grace and truth came by Him. And keep going to Him. Only Christ is sufficient for our every need. His blood is sufficient to atone, to wash us free from all of our sins. His righteousness is always sufficient to perfectly satisfy God every time. His power is sufficient to keep us. His word is sufficient to feed us. His word is sufficient to make us wise unto salvation. God's grace is sufficient for me and is sufficient for you, my friend. We're not even sufficient to meet a good day, much less an evil day. But by God's grace, my friend, that day is light. That day is easy. 
because God's grace is sufficient for thee. So wherever you're at, whoever you are, God's grace is sufficient to strengthen us, to hold us up under the burden of the trial that would otherwise crush us. Now this thorn, Paul said, this is not a light thing. It was going to crush him. And he earnestly besought the Lord to remove it because it was going to crush him. But just like God's grace was sufficient for the apostle Paul, beloved, so too, God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. And whatever we face, whatever it is, we face. My friend, look to Christ, call upon him, follow his feet and stay there and cast all your burden upon the Lord and leave it with him. You do that. Not only has God done something for you, but so too, beloved, ever so blessedly in you. Beloved, believing sinner, you'll ever find his grace is sufficient always. And I'll conclude with this exhortation from the Apostle Peter. Beloved, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Amen.